are kicking off episode 144 of Monster Kid Radio with another track by Invisible Dracula. This time around, it's the song, Who's Driving That Carriage? It's from the EP, the Invisible EP. You can find out more about them over at invisibledracula.bandcamp.com. This music appears on Monster Kid Radio with their permission, this is Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I want to welcome you back to the show. Are any new listeners? Welcome aboard. Monster Kid Radio is where we talk about the classic movies, the monster movies, and this time around we're talking about Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Now, in part one of our discussion, which happened a couple of days ago, Joe Suber and I talked about the cast, the crew, what was going on with everybody before they started making the movie. This time around, we're going to talk about the plot, talk about our overall thoughts on the film, and then kind of go from there. It's with Joe Suber from Comic Book Central, where comic books come to life. Go check him out at comicbookcentral.net. He's going to tell you all about what they've got coming up at the end of our conversation after we get done talking about Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Also in this episode, we have a voicemail from a longtime listener of the show. We also have the next installment of Countdown to Lugosi Ween. I'm going to talk about a couple of Lugosi films that I had not seen before actually sitting down to watch them specifically for this installment of Lugosi Ween. You can find out everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website, which is at monsterkidradio.net. Here you can find links to, well, everything we've got going on here. We've got our contact information, which is our email address, monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or our voicemail line, which is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Of course, you're always welcome to produce an MP3 or a WAV file of your own and just email it to monsterkidradio at gmail.com as well. We also have a link to our Facebook group, which is where all the conversations happen with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes. When you're over at Facebook, look up Monster Kid Radio and just give that page a like as well, if you don't mind. We also have a link to our Live 365 channel. We'll talk about that later in the show. And our Patreon page, where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show a little bit financially. Now, we are never, ever going to ask you to pay for a regular episode of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to keep doing the show because I just love doing it. However, if you want a little reward or perk or something like that, well, go check out the Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash monsterkidradio. One of the things that we do for patrons of Patreon is give them a shout-out, a special thanks. This time around, I think we'll give a shout-out to Scott and Tracy Morris. You know, the cool cats over at DisneyIndiana.com. Should I say cool mice? Ducks? What's goofy? A dog? Either way, Scott and Tracy Morris, thanks for your support and your patronage. Now, this episode is going out on Thursday, which means that last night was the Monster Kid Radio crash for the slime people over at the Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon. I'm recording this before the crash took place, so I'm assuming it went well. If it didn't, well, we're just going to pretend through the magic of radio that it went awesome. I mean, it's the slime people. How can you miss? It's a great film. I love the monster design in that. There is another Monster Kid Radio crash coming up. Actually, a couple that I want to remind everybody about. The 24th, that's Friday night here in Portland, Oregon, the Hollywood Theater, the Monster Squad, 35 millimeter print. I have never, ever seen the Monster Squad in the theater. This is going to be a real treat for me. I'm stoked to see it as a 35 millimeter print with the director, Fred Decker, in attendance. 
Now that's just flat out cool. I don't know if he's doing a QA. I don't know if he's going to be signing autographs. I don't know what his participation is going to be, but I know I'm going to be there. And I know I'm going to be there with my portable recorder. So if you are going to be there as well, track me down. I'm kind of hard to miss. And maybe we'll put you on the show. Have you say hi to everybody and hear about your thoughts about Monster Squad and, well, pretty much anything else Monster Kid Radio related. Now, next week, also at the Hollywood, we're talking about the 28th. It's a Tuesday night. Another Monster Kid Radio crash because the Hollywood doesn't have enough of my money. They're doing a double feature of a couple of Hammer films. Twins of Evil and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed. Same deal. I'll be there with my recorder. I'm going to record a little bit before the show. Definitely after the show. I would love to see you there if you're in the area. If you're not, well, stay tuned to Monster Kid Radio because we'll play that audio on a future show. Probably sometime next month when I'm trying to catch my breath after all the fun that I've had <laughs> during this Halloween season. And I haven't even figured out what night I'm going to go see House of Wax and 3D at the Joy. I I gotta look at the calendar and figure that out. But I'll do that after this episode of Monster Kid Radio, after part two of my discussion with Joe Stuber about Abbott and Costello beat Frankenstein. Let's get to that right after this. Now, don't give me that invisible stuff again. Honest. And there were footsteps with no feet. And a grip that was unpacking itself. All right, boys, let's go. <laughs> They're private eyes, they are. And they're tickled to death, as you may be, that their first job is a murder case. Only a man they can't see is driving them to distraction. I said pull over to the... A blonde is trying to booby trap them. And the syndicate is trying to set them up for a quick one, too. <laughs> Buddy, you know I'm no fighter. Oh, what's the difference? Look, watch this. My uncle is worried too about the about the effect of the drug on my mind. Invisibility gives me a sense of power, for good or for evil. Neither of you get a chance to tell the cops anything. Well, look, pal, let's talk this thing over. There's no. comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. She is Erin Gray. Erin, welcome to the show. I ended up being a contract player making, I think it was $600 a week. Gil was doing great. He was making the big bucks. You got the posters, though. <laughs> you got yes. the posters. Come I on. look better in white spandex. What can I say? <laughs> hey, this is Michael Rosenbaum. Lex Luthor from Smallville. Make sure you listen to this guy's show. He sounds like a good guy. People should listen to you, Joe. Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. 
This is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book. Comic Book. Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine. And they're all 1950s-style black-and-white movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. <laughs> you can find us at SaintEuphoria.com. Or like us on Facebook. That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. Hope you tune in. There is a story that goes on. Uh, I think it kind of falls apart a little bit in the third act. It's ambitious. It's an ambitious it story. And it, you're yeah. right. It does kind of lose its cohesion a little bit. It starts off great. And here's the thing. Look, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Love Indiana Jones. As You've got, we all should be. As we all should be. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But you've got all the Indiana Jones kind of stuff there. We've got mummies. We've got tombs. We've got blow darts in this one. We've got secret yeah. passages. We've got camels. We've got uh-huh. snakes. Plenty of snakes. Yeah. All through yeah. It. And we've got Evan Costello in pith helmets. And that's just an image that I love. I think it turns up in a cartoon later on, some of the comic books and things like that. But I just love that image of Evan Costello in pith helmets. Something cool is going to happen. And so I love that the movie kind of starts with that. They're, yeah, they're these Americans. They're stranded in Cairo. And they kind of hear – here's the plot. You know, They happen to hear Dr. Gustav Zumer discussing Claris, which it's not Karis. It's Claris, and he's this the guardian of the tomb of Princess Ara. There's the MacGuffin. We talked about this medallion. It's going to lead to a treasure. Everybody overhears this. There's these followers of Claris who kind of remind me of the, the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ah, okay. You've got all the costuming and different things. So, so it kind of reminded me a little bit of that. But there's all these different groups that overhear what's going on. Mm-hmm. And having Costello just want a job. Yep. They just want a job and help out. So that, so that kind of sets the plot in motion. They, something's going down with this mummy and the medallion, and everybody wants a part of it. That's basically it. I mean, that's the setup. Yeah. Everybody wants the medallion. The setup for why Abbott and Costello are there, they just want to get home. And I kind of get the impression Costello really didn't care. It's what Abbott wants to go home. <laughs> yeah. And, and Costello will go along with him. And yeah, we don't know how they got there. No. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. It could have been the setup for one of their TV shows. It doesn't matter. Right. They're exactly. in Cairo. They need to go home. I want to talk about the doctor who is talking about Claris. Uh, Dr. Zoomer is played by Kurt Catch who did appear in some of the other Mummy films. He appeared in The Mummy's Curse for Universal. He also appeared in a movie called Pharaoh's Curse in 1957 for a different studio, which I also really like. So it was kind of cool to see some connections to previous Mummy excursions. Okay, so we or got other. the ties. Yeah, yeah, we got the ties there. So we got that. And, and I like him. <laughs> but you mentioned the blow dart situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's with him. Yeah. <laughs> Because everybody wants to get their hands on Claris and the medallion and the treasure, or, or they want to protect Claris and the secret of the tomb. There's a lot going on here. It's very ambitious. You said it falls apart a little bit, and I think it does. Because I think the most interesting part of the story would really be between the Doctor and Claris's followers and Marie Windsor's character, uh, Madame Rontru. Abbott and Costello are great, but I think the real story happens between those guys and Abbott and Costello are just kind of along for the ride. Right. Well, it's just – it's a lot of Lou running from room to room screaming, which is great. I love that. Nobody does it better than Lou Costello. Especially when he's wearing that helmet. 
Yes, it's he that looks image. great in the helmet, and I didn't even have a. Normally, I don't go for the very broad slapsticky type humor, but those pith helmets look like they would get stuck on his head. That's that's how it's supposed to go. Right, <laughs> I like. And it. you get the the sound effect as it gets stuck on the head, and then exactly, the, you know, as it pops off. I imagine and, you know. that would happen in real life. If exactly. I had a pith helmet on right now and tried to pop it off, that's what would happen right now. <laughs> that would be the sound that would yep. come out. It comes right out. So yeah, but you've got those classic, you know, the the switching bodies. We've seen that before in, in some Evan Costello and Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff. It plays again here where the door swings open and there's a body hanging there. And he goes out and tries to tell Bud and Bud comes in. Of course, it's moved. So you get the, these followers of Claris just moving the body, making Costello look like an idiot. So, yeah, there's there's all kinds of things. And then, of course, you have the mummy jokes. You know, mummy could be a, a guy. You know, it's like, well, how could it be a mummy? So you got all the the wordplay. Yeah. Um, the classic Evan Costello stuff, but a lot of good stuff. But it's, it's a lot of Costello running around being scared. Again, great stuff. It, it became more about the medallion. This this hunt for the medallion. I think that just should have been again the MacGuffin to keep the plot going. But I would have liked to have seen more with the mummy. Again, maybe as another individual brought back to life, and then he's kind of manipulating. Karloff would have been cool. I'm guessing maybe they just used Karloff too much at this point. He was in the <laughs> preceding one. Yeah, that's true. He was in Meet the Killer Boris Karloff. So maybe they just didn't want to – or maybe they couldn't afford him. I don't know. I'd have to look and see. I don't know if maybe he was under contract to a different studio by the time this one rolled around or who oh, knows possible. what was going on. Yeah, I mean it just seems like they could have done more with The Mummy at this point because to me it's Abacus all Meet the Mummy. I want to see – him come to life and maybe terrorizing them or something like I don't know. It just seemed to be more about the chase for the medallion. It really did. And then when the medallion was no longer in play, that's where it starts to fall apart a little bit for me. Yep. Yeah, that's so. exactly it. Because then it just kind of becomes in the catacombs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these secret passages, and then you get the doors flipping back and you know all these dropping down into different levels and and different things. But again, the mummy's just really not that terrifying to me. No, not in at the all. Movie. So, yeah, it's just it's kind of interesting. Yeah, but all those different – that cast of characters, I, I wanted to see more of them and how they could impact Evan Costello. So I think the setup is there. I just don't know that the payoff is there. I agree with you. I think – well, like I said, when the medallion is no longer a factor, it does kind of fall apart a little bit. I think it would have been really interesting to see uh, the professor character, the Richard Deacon character, and Marie uh, Windsor's character, Madame Rontru, really interact going back and forth and who's going to one-up each other. And you know that was going to happen in the movie. They're going to – one's going to kill the other and you know whatever. Right. That's where it starts to get really interesting for me. And then here's Abbott and Costello doing their comedy, which I also really love. But it just – for me, it, it didn't stay gelled the way the rest of the movie did. Something's off. Yeah, it just, it's almost off. like there's something missing. Like there's some scenes that are missing because it's a very short runtime. So I think they could have. It was very short. Care- yeah, I, I was surprised by how short it was. It was an hour and fifteen, I think. Yeah, somewhere around there. So I think you probably could have had like an extra ten minutes of character development. And see, that's what I love about some of the earlier Evan Costello monster movies. You know, you think about the Invisible Man. You think about Frankenstein. There's plot. There's things going on, and they're interacting with these characters and. There's a lot going on other than just a couple of random routines. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe they focus too much on the routines, which I like, as opposed to some of the character development we saw in some of the earlier films. So I kind of missed that a little bit. And again, I just wish they would have done a little bit more with The Mummy being the headlining character. I agree. Uh, I think it does rely a lot on the routines. A lot. No, I like the routines. I yeah. love the shovel pick bit. 
I love that. And the hamburger bit with the medallion, I thought that was fun too. <laughs> you know, it is a it's good classic. One. I mean, it's yeah. classic. We've seen them do these things with different props or different words. I love that stuff. But it's so heavy on that that you don't get enough of the monster. Right. And I, I mean, I love my mummy stuff. So anytime the mummy's on screen, I'm like, I'm bored. I'm like, yeah, this is great. Now, what did you think of the mummy in this film? Just the mummy proper? You know, I mentioned it earlier. I had no idea mummies could growl and scowl like that. <laughs> mummies don't talk for me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's people know that I love the Friday the 13th movies. Jason Voorhees doesn't talk. I don't want my shambling, mindless, slow, always going to get you a character, no matter how fast you run, killers to talk. And I don't want my mummies to growl, and I don't want them to, you know, I don't want that. So I struggled with that. Yeah, it's more of a Frankenstein thing. Yeah, so I struggled a little bit with that. I thought once we really look at the costuming, you see that he's just wearing what looks like long johns with mummy lines painted on it. Yeah, and you knock him over the head, (laughs) you knock out the mummy. So this is your least favorite mummy of the mummy? I, I think so. Of the mummy films. Are you counting mummy. in the Brendan Fraser series? Too, well, okay. Or? If we talk about the Universal mummy films, it's my least favorite mummy. Okay. But I still really love the Abbott and Costello film. If I rank it there, I still love that. That's the thing about this is that the mummy is supposed to be the, the headlining character. Uh-huh. And I like a lot of the stuff that goes around, but the mummy seems to be the least effective of it. It's almost, in a sense, it kind of harkens back to Meet the Killer Boris Karloff, where – Again, spoiler alert, the killer is not Boris Karloff. True. And Karloff is – it's sort of a glorified cameo mm-hmm. in that movie. So it's kind of like, – I love the movie. I think it's a great Scooby-Doo mystery. It's just if you're watching it for Karloff, you're going to be disappointed. Again, if you're watching this as a mummy movie, I think you'll be disappointed on that level. If you're watching it as a classic Abbott and Costello comedy, I think you're good to go. Yeah, your assessment's right here. I think as far as an Abbott and Costello film goes, you're great. You, you got it down. You've got the Abbott and Costello stuff. You've got what you need. But in terms of like the mummy being the real villain. Mm. Well, and we don't even really see the mummy as the villain until about an hour in. I mean, yeah. there's some there's some mummy-ish stuff in the beginning. But, you know, when the mummy, like, here's the mummy, it's about an hour in, uh, which I thought was way too long to wait for this. I thought there should yeah. have been some mummy stuff going on the whole time. And then, of course, you get like multiple mummy mix-up time. And it's like everybody dresses like a mummy at the end, which I don't know that I really got that. I thought that was an odd choice. Where'd they get the mummy costume, first of all? But like everybody dresses like a mummy at the end to have some confusion. So you've got all these different mummies going. But look, it lends to the comedy. I get that. I just don't know that it makes any sense. Again, does anything have to make sense in an Abbott Costello film? I don't know that it does. <laughs> you get to see Lou freaking out. Well, that's true. That's true. When we did Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, one of the disagreements that we had, I guess differences that we had regarding the movie was I really kind of enjoyed the bit where Costello got turned into a giant mouse. <laughs> and, and you said that that wasn't even Costello. You didn't like it nearly as much. I feel like something similar happened in this one because the Abbott character does dress up as a mummy, yeah. but it really, you could tell it wasn't really Bud Abbott in the mummy suit. And, right. you know, he's exaggerating his movements and you can tell that Abbott's trying to do this voiceover kind of thing to try to catch up with the movements. So that did stick out to me a little bit as well, especially because it looks like Abbott started to put on a little bit of weight and, you know, he's getting older and that sort of thing. And I, I didn't necessarily like that. Yeah, I just don't know that I needed everybody in a mummy costume at the end. I think you've got a universal monster. Mm-hmm. Use it. Because you, you watch uh, Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. You've got the monsters. They're doing their thing. That's all exactly. you need. You don't need, you know, Abbott dressing up like this or Costello dressing up like this. It's, you know, yeah, I don't think you need any of that. It just kind of becomes confusing at the end for really no reason. You've got a, basically an Indiana Jones treasure hunt 
that's going down with Ebbing. I, I think mm-hmm. there's so much potential that was there. I think that's probably my biggest problem with the film is that the potential was there, the setup was there, the table was set, and I just don't know that you get the payoff that you need. So on that level, it's it's a little disappointing. But the routines are there. If you're watching it for an Abbott and Costello movie, it's great on, on that level. I love those routines. And yeah, the hamburger switching scene, we've talked about a bunch, but uh, it's really cool. It's very funny. The scenes are great. The set pieces are awesome. It does feel a little bit like it's from a TV show. I mean, because a lot of it is. And I do wonder, again, you know their career a little bit better than I do. When they did Meet Frankenstein, their career was kind of in a downturn, right? They didn't have a lot going on. I mean, Meet Frankenstein really kind of brought them back into the forefront. Not only them, but Universal Pictures as well. Exactly. I mean, they kind of saved the studio as well. So there was a lot that Meet Frankenstein brought back. By the time they get around to Meet the Mummy, they've got the success that they have brought back to themselves with Meet Frankenstein and all the other movies they had done up to that point. The TV show was going. I know they were doing some tours after that, but it's like everything broke apart after this. And their contract with Universal was over. It's always one of those things, depending on what you read, because even though Abbott is the guy that's in charge of everything in the movies, I kind of get a sense of everything I've read that Costello was the one that was in charge of everything behind the scenes. I got that impression Abbott was kind of well. like, you know, hey, whatever you want, Lou. I, I got a sense from what I'm reading that Lou uh, – and I guess as combined, they talked about this or whatever. But they thought that they could get more money, which they should have. They were the comedy team. They were it. They should have they been earned it. getting more. Earned I think it. they earned it. I, I absolutely think they earned it. Universal apparently didn't. And so they didn't renew the contract. And that was pretty much the end of their movie career at that. They did one more, uh, Dance With Me Henry, after that. Yeah, it was kind of it after that. So – uh, and unfortunately, they broke up. It was that thing in Vegas. And yeah, so you didn't have the TV show after this. So again, I don't know exactly when the TV show ended. It was around this time. Yeah, it looks like, again, if I'm reading the Internet Movie Database correctly, it looks like the TV show ended in 54. This movie came out in 55. Yeah. So, you know, they had a lot on their plate. They had a lot going on while this movie was being developed. Whereas with Meet Frankenstein, maybe they didn't have nearly as much going on because their career just hadn't been as busy at that point. So I could see maybe not – gosh, this is going to sound so critical – trying is hard because they're busy with other projects. It, but you know what? That's kind of Abbott and Costello because when you go back through all the all their movies and you read everything, it's like they're always hanging out in their trailer playing cards. True. They'd show up when they wanted to. But you know what? When they showed up on the set, it was golden because they knew no matter what they did, they could ad lib a scene. They could fix a scene that wasn't working in a script. They could make it golden. So I think they earned a lot of that. And in this one, again, I think maybe – Abbott's timing was a little off. Maybe there were health issues coming in. You know, we, we said that, you know, th- those things were kind of coming into play too. So again, bittersweet to me because I, I do love seeing the old routines, but I know it's, it's at the end of their career. True. So. True. Plus, I don't know. Is this the first time in a monster movie that we saw Abbott with the mustache? Uh, in one of the monster movies, I don't think he had it in Jekyll and Hyde. I don't think so either. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. Darn. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's such a horrible thing to have to watch that very cool movie. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm always torn on this. I don't know which Bud Abbott I like better, mustache Bud Abbott or non-mustache. Which one do you prefer or do you have a preference? I think I prefer pre-mustache. Pre-mustache? Yeah, I think so. He just seems to be – I'm probably in pre-mustache camp too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, some of those earlier films like Con Man, The Flim Flam and all that. Yeah, I just – I kind of like that image of Bud Abbott. Yep, exactly. And, and that's what they're uh, – who, who knows why he grew the mustache? Just because they had – it wasn't typical for them, so maybe, yeah. like you said, at that point, it's like, hey, we don't care. We're just going to do whatever we want. I want a mustache. I'll grow a mustache. Yeah. 
<laughs> who knows? I mean, overall, though, I still am glad I watched the movie. And this has been a fun journey for me, going through the Abbott and Costello films. A lot of these, almost all of them, are first-time viewings for me. So this has been a lot of fun. I'm a little bummed because we're at the end of the journey here, sort of. We are at the end of the journey here, um, but a really great ending to this film, too. If you're going to oh, yeah. go out – yeah, I mean the, the film picks up right at the end. As we mentioned, they had Cafe Claris. They open it up. They're going to – you know, it's kind of a neat thing. Um, we've got the zip-up tux that Costello has. You know, he, he shows up and he's like, hey, you weren't even dressed. He's like, hold on. And he has this zip-up tux. I love the zip-up tux. It's a visual. You can't describe I, it. I love You've the zip-up tux. It. It's a one-piece suit with a zipper. And I, I love it. Yeah. The I want the tie is the zipper. Yeah. Yeah, and he comes and fixes it. He did get smacks him for it, of course, you know. But you also get a payoff. There's there's a callback to this running joke that's been going on with a snake charmer scene. Yes. And, you know, every time that Costello plays the, the little flute, you know, the snake comes up and, you know, you get those scared moments. Really cool moment because he tries to get Bud to do it. And, of course, you know, Bud doesn't have a snake. It's this gloved hand that comes up that looks like a snake. Of course, it's attached to... This buxom blonde, <laughs> that, you know. Is this the first time Abbott actually got a girl in one of the Meet the Monster movies? Yeah, it always seems like that's the case where he's always like trying too hard, and they always uh-huh. like kind of dismiss him. But in this one, it's like, yeah, he definitely gets the girl in this one. Yeah, but a random and, girl that wasn't in the rest of the movie. But hey, no. you know what? You go, bud. You go, bud. Yes, he did. <laughs> that was she was uh, amazing looking. And then of course, you know, Costello tries it. Well, Costello always gets the girl, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not so much this time. He does get kissed. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And then he runs off scared again and goes barreling through a sheet of glass. Yeah, it was stuntman Vic Parks and that book, uh, Evan Costello in Hollywood. There's a great story about that. I can just read it from here. I know I hate reading on podcasts, but it's actually a pretty cool story. He says he recalled some of his stunt work in the film. He said, I did a lot of crazy stuff in that picture. One was where I dropped 10 feet through a cutout in the floor. That was the hardest thing for me to do. Drop down into this tunnel because I couldn't see where I was going to land. Obviously, when you see that stunt in the film, it is very cool. Yeah. When you can see, you can anticipate and break your fall. So I guess in this one, he couldn't anticipate where he was going to hit. Then in the finale, I'm supposed to run through this huge glass wall. Beyond the glass wall was a solid wall. Did you notice that when he hits this thing, there's another wall like right there? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. He says, I went so fast through the candy glass and hit that wall. I was dazed. I could hear Charlie Lamont, the director, yelling, get out of there, get out of there. Oh, no. So, yeah, I kind of noticed that, too, when he hits that glass. It's just like almost this, like, bounce. Yeah, it's very strange. But it, it's a great image. Mm-hmm. Man, that was <laughs> – the stunts were a little bit different back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, a little bit uh, – maybe cut a few corners on that one. But, yeah, that's a great image when it comes through. Because Costello is running scared from the snake. <laughs> he goes right through this glass. Which window. is what he does. I mean, he, uh, and he does it so well. I love to watch <laughs> Costello run. Better than anybody else. Oh, he yeah. is just amazing when he does that. It's that scared look that comes in so much. And that's truly the selling point of these movies is his reactions to the monsters, to the fright, to the terror, to whatever's scaring him. That's the brilliance of it. I think our opinion of the movies uh, you know, differs a little bit, but I still think it was a decent one to end on. You know, we get some throwbacks to the to the classics. We get some of the, well, I mean, we're talking about Costello running scared, which is just a classic. We get a throwback to the Who's on First routine with the shovel and the pick. We get the hamburger routine. So we got some nice kind of reminders of why we love these two so much in this film. So I, oh, yeah. I thought it was a nice way to go out. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I love the film. I think it's a great film. And that nostalgia kicks in. And I just remember watching as a kid and I love it. It's just I, I thought the monster in this one wasn't as effective. Yeah, that, that's my only gripe about it, is that I think you've got this perfect opportunity, this visual. 
It's a classic universal monster. I just don't know that they did enough with the monster. I think it was more of the routines, which is fine. It just doesn't uh, – of the monster movies that we've discussed, mm-hmm. I just don't think the monster element of it was as effective as, say, Frankenstein or Jekyll and Hyde or even The Invisible Man, one of the, yeah. be- one of the best ones. I agree. I agree with you. But I love the film. Don't get me oh, wrong. I love. Oh yeah, no, I agree. I I, I don't think my Evan Costellos. <laughs> yeah, like you said at the beginning of all this, you know, uh, Evan Costello movie, even one of the lesser ones, is still ten times, hundred times better than a lot of the the top <laughs> films. Oh, yeah. from it's, it's like Star Trek. Things. Even bad Star Trek is awesome. You yeah. know, I mean, it's like you can't have bad Star Trek. So it's right. you know, same thing for me with Evan Costello. And it was never a bad Star Trek if Kang showed up. So. Oh, of course not. No, it was awesome Star Trek when Kang shows up. My favorite Klingon. I love it. There's got to be a show. There's got to be something. You know, we'll work on that. There we go. We'll do an audio drama, an original produced, audio drama. Produced by produced by Derek and Joe. Yeah, my favorite Klingon. That like oh that old uh, you know fifties you know, kind of music. You know, leave it to Beaver kind of music. You know. Nice. See see Michael Ansar out like mowing his lawn. You know Klingon in a in a house coat. <laughs> For some reason, other the music from My Three Sons is playing through my head when I think about it. You know, da, 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 with da, da, the uh, giant Klingon boots as the yes, feet. yes. <laughs> oh, it's a strange ride today on Monster Kid Radio. Folks. It really is. Well, you know, do you ever get this strange on your show over at Comic Book Central? Uh, uh, see no, what I it's did just there? me. See what I did <laughs> nice segue. I did. Thank you so much. No, it's just me hanging. <laughs> I can't get too weird. Although Ilya Salkine, I think, got a little strange. That was a good episode, though. I like that one. I get so many comments on that one. I, you know, it's people love Ilias Alkine. I love Ilias Alkine. It was a fun conversation I had with him. Mm-hmm. So, Comic Book Central is coming up on kind of a milestone, right? Oh yeah. Where did the year go? I, Honestly, I where did the year go? When you launched uh, Monster Kid Radio, when? Uh, I think it was May of two thousand something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you launched it a few months before I think Comic Book Central, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you had your one year anniversary. Does I mean the year just flies by, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. So yeah, November eighth is the one year anniversary of Comic Book Central. Thank you for mentioning that. So the show that airs on Friday, November seventh, is going to be the one year anniversary special. I'm going to revisit some of. Hey, you're, you'll probably hear Ilias Alkind again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so we'll put that on. But yeah, some of the favorite moments. I'm asking all the listeners too to just kind of write in, whether it's through Twitter or Facebook on the comicbookcentral.net website, anything, joe at comicbookcentral.net. Tell me your favorite moments. I'm going to get those on the show, too. So, yeah, we're going to have some fun with it. Now, since we've had you on the show last, you've redone your website. And I know we've talked about it probably on the Facebook group, but comicbookcentral.net, you've got a new website since the last time you were on the show. It looks great. Oh, uh, links to all the episodes here. Uh, there's a link to Monster Kid Radio, so, of course, it's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you were one of the allies. There you go. There you go. Comic Book Central Nation. Yeah. So, yeah, we, uh, it looks really cool. A little bit better than the, the, just the straight-up blog that I had before. Um, but, yeah, so we wanted to make sure we got the content on there. But, yeah, launch the, the new. And you so you can contact me through there. There's a little signal me. Uh, so we got that. All the episodes are out there. So, yeah, check them out if you haven't had a chance to check out some of those uh, those pretty cool conversations we've had with the folks that bring comic books to life. We mentioned Indiana Jones at the beginning of all this, and I think we've referenced it a couple of times. You had John Rice Davies on the show not too long ago, so go back and check that out, listeners, if you're interested in that. And, of course, you need to be interested in that. If you're not, you're missing out. <laughs> that was a fun one. Yeah, I got a chance to meet him at the Cincinnati Comic Expo, and uh, he was amazing. I didn't you – know, obviously, the interviews, I can get more in-depth in some of the phone conversations and things like that. I had a limited time with him. His line was, like, way long. You hear Lord of the oh, Rings. I imagine. 
Indiana Jones, everything. Yeah. So, but I actually did get the chance to talk to him about the trial of the Incredible Hulk. Uh, really? TV where, yeah, where he played the kingpin, and he was oh. directed by Bill Bixby in that. So we got wow. and Lou Ferrigno was sitting like at the next table over. So he's like, yeah, I talked to Lou, and it was very cool. And he had, he has some great things to say about Lou and about Bill Bixby. We, I, I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to him about that. So it's probably not one of his projects he gets to talk about too much. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was cool. And if you look at the Daredevil uh, on Netflix that's coming up, it looks exactly like the Rex Smith Daredevil from Child of the Incredible Hulk. It really does, doesn't it? Spitting image. It's like, come on, guys. They already did this. Yep. <laughs> we, yep. we had an awesome version of Daredevil already. So, yeah. So he was pretty cool about that. I like him as Kingpin. He's pretty cool. So that was funny. I yeah, he's until you just said something. I had forgotten. Yeah. John Reese Davies was very cool. We've got a lot of the Firefly cast uh, for folks that like the TV show Firefly and Serenity. Uh, they've been out there. Adam Baldwin, Marina Backer, and Summer Gloud was just on. So, yeah, check it out. And let me know your favorite moment. We're going to get that on the show. One year anniversary. And that'll be going out at the beginning of November. Yeah, November 7th is going to be the one-year anniversary special. We've got a few more episodes coming up until then. Uh, Carl Lumley from Mantis, that really cool show (laughs) Mantis. And he also plays uh, the Martian Manhunter, the voice of the Martian Manhunter uh, that's coming up. So, yeah, a couple cool episodes between now and then and uh, some special surprises. Oh, and also a giveaway, the first Comic Book Central giveaway. I almost forgot. If you write in and tell me your favorite moment, wherever you send it, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, uh, this is very cool. If you love yourself some Superman, some Christopher Reeve Superman, and who doesn't, there weren't many tie-ins back in 1978 with the Warner Brothers Superman movie. Uh, but one of those tie-ins was this uh, this novel written by Elliot Magan, uh, Superman, Last Son of Krypton. I have that book, that paperback book. We're going to be giving that away, picking one name at random of everyone that writes in. So, yeah, that's another cool thing. So it's Comic Book Central's anniversary, but the listeners are getting the gift. Very, very cool. Well, obviously, people need to go check that out. I'm going to make sure it's mentioned on Facebook, comicbookcentral.net, where comic books come to life. That's where you can go listen to Joe. And you're going to hear Joe again here on Monster Kid Radio, because even though we're at the end of the Meet the Monster series, there's one more Abbott and Costello movie that we're going to talk about. One of their classic movies, it's not technically a monster movie, but it is a scare fest. So it kind of fit into that mold, if you will. Maybe we're taking a few liberties there. but That's my show. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I like that about this show. Uh, but, yeah, it's a very cool movie. And it kind of would – we both thought it would bring everything full circle uh, with them. So, yeah. you want to? Do you want to tell them yeah, you we'll say, what it is say. yet? It's 1941's Hold That Ghost. It's where Scared Costello started. Yep. That's the cool thing. So it's the Costello we love. And it's going to be really fun visiting that one. I'm excited because, again, Abbott and Costello, early Abbott and Costello. So we're going to see them really just getting into their own. Prime. And Richard Carlson, my man from Creature from the Black Lagoons on that. <laughs> so big Richard Carlson fan. Looking forward to talking oh, about that one down the line. Speaking so. of Creature from the Black Lagoon, we almost forgot. this. Okay, technically the mummy wasn't the last monster that Abbott well, and Costello – came in contact with was it well okay so theatrically yes yes on the tv screen no yes. because when <laughs> creature, your favorite i know i know when when creature came out to help promote a little bit the creature did show up the gilman did show up on tv one of the colgate comedy hour episodes i believe it was a colgate was it a colgate or one of the yeah i believe so and isn't it on carrie gamble's carrie gamble's page 
I think I've, he's got a breakdown of this. Yeah. Gamble Illustrations, say that three times fast, uh, but it's on gambleillustrations.bizland.com. Mm-hmm. So technically it did happen. You'll see it. I think it's probably on YouTube. Oh, somewhere. it is on YouTube. That's where I've seen it. Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> over cool. Over so, over yeah. Over. So technically they did yeah. meet another monster along yeah. the way. They did. They did. <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to do Hold That Ghost with Abbott and Costello, Richard Carlson from the 40s. Yeah. So it's going to be a nice, vibrant, lively Abbott and Costello. I'm looking forward to it. We'll have to do that. Either near the end of this year, beginning of next year sometime, I'll have you back on, Joe. Sounds good. I am so what are we going to do after that? I think we kind of had an idea. Yeah. I think we've got one in mind. Might have involved somebody we've already met and talked to. Potentially. If you want to go back and listen to Comic Book Central and Monster Kid Radio prior episodes, you might get a hint as to what our next movie after Hold That Ghost will be. Potentially. Uh, Potentially, yeah. And hey, another classic Monster Kid Radio Comic Book Central crossover. There you go. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. So. That would be fun, man. Yeah, I think we know what we're. I think we know what's ahead, and uh, astute listeners might be able to pick up on that. There you go. All right. So, comicbookcentral.net to get more Joe. Follow him on Facebook. Check out his show. Tell him Monster Kid Radio sent you. Tell him I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> and in case I don't talk to you between now and then, even though I'm sure I will. Congratulations on one year, man. <laughs> As much as I love Bela Lugosi movies, there are still some out there that I haven't watched yet. Voodoo Man is one of them. This is a so-called Poverty Row film from 1946, directed by William One-Shot Bodine. I recently had an opportunity to introduce one of Bodine's films at a local movie theater, and one of the things I shared with the audience that night is that he filmed the movie being shown, Jesse James Meets Frankenstein's Daughter, in eight days. He shot Voodoo Man in seven days. Now, there are a few scenes that feel a little rushed, but not too many, and none really with Lugosi. He feels very at home in this movie as Dr. Marlowe, a creepy old man trying to bring his wife back to life. Wait a minute. A Lugosi film? A mad doctor trying to bring someone back to life? The title of the movie is Voodoo Man, for crying out loud. Why haven't I seen this movie before? Well, I don't have an answer for that, and it doesn't matter. Whatever answer I give would not be good enough. I really liked this movie. Now, it's the last of the movies Lugosi made for Monogram, and it shows, but not in a bad way. Like I said earlier, he feels very at home here. He knows what he's doing, and he's very efficient. It occurred to me that a lot of Lugosi's films were low-budget, short-scheduled productions, and I can't help but wonder if Lugosi's theater and stage experience really aided him in movies like the ones he made for Monogram and the like. His professionalism, the kind of professionalism needed for the theater, carries him through these movies with no shame. That said, there are a couple of times Lugosi and co-star George Zuko do make eye contact with the camera, but I can't tell if these instances were intentional, as they did happen during a voodoo ceremony. Oh, right, yeah, I said George Zuko. And he's not the only other horror movie mainstay co-starring in the film. We also have John Carradine. And unfortunately, he's a bit cringeworthy. If anyone could have maybe used an extra day of production and or rehearsal time, he probably could have, which is weird considering he's John freaking Carradine. But anyway, this was a fun film to watch. It's short, 
but it's about as long as it needs to be. The overall story isn't too drawn out. Dr. Marlowe wants to bring his dead wife back to life. George Zuko plays a voodoo something or other and is helping him. John Carradine is one of the henchmen, and Todd Andrews is the hero. He's helped by one of the least effective but still dopely enjoyable cinema sheriffs I've ever seen, and he's played by Henry Hall. No wonder Dr. Marlowe and company are able to kidnap a handful of women in this town. The sheriff treats the missing women as a distraction and almost acts as if he just got bored looking for them and stopped until another one goes missing. His deputy, Deputy Elmer, played by Dan White, isn't any better, but when he complains about his old lady being upset about his being at work late because, well, they're looking for missing women, it doesn't have the same charm. But I didn't watch Voodoo Man to watch some small-town police investigate multiple kidnappings. I watched it because of Bela, and he delivers. He's even got a great beard. Director Bodine made great use of Bela's eyes in a couple of scenes when he hypnotizes his victims or exerts his voodoo-ish powers over them. And I'd go as far as saying these shots are nearly as effective as the close-ups of Lugosi's eyes in White Zombie. Yeah, I said it. Now, a couple of years before Voodoo Man, Lugosi was in an old, dark house sort of movie called One Body Too Many, directed by Frank McDonald. Now, this is another one I've missed for some reason. I've seen the beginning of the movie a few times, as the film is in the public domain, and because of that, it's turned up on a number of horror host programs. I've seen it run on a few channels on my Roku box, and I always meant to get back to it once I've started it, but I just never did. And the reason why was because I was put off by the -the over-the-top forced comedy courtesy of Jack Haley. Yeah. The Tin Man from Wizard of Oz is the lead in the film, playing an insurance salesman who's mistaken for an off-duty police officer hired to guard a dead body. Now, the setup of the film is, again, fairly simple. A millionaire has died, and his family, friends, and employees are gathered together for the reading of the will. Turns out, the millionaire really didn't think much of most of them, but before the breakdown of who gets what is revealed, there's a condition. Everyone must stay in the millionaire's old dark house until the man's body is laid to rest in a glass-topped coffin. If the body is buried underground, the will will change so that whoever stands to get the most will actually end up getting the least, and so on. The movie proceeds with near-murder attempts, Haley getting in over his head, and Lugosi playing Merkel, the butler. In One Body Too Many, Bela is really laying on the accent. But this is 1944. If you watch other Lugosi films from around this era... His accent isn't nearly as heavy. I'm betting he was turning it up a notch, so to speak, for his role. Now, it works for the character, giving him an extra measure of menace since he does try to kill some people in the film. I particularly enjoy his conversation with the other house servant while he's preparing rat poison. I I mean, coffee for the guests. He even calls it coffee that will not keep you up at night. Now, he moves fluidly through the film, affecting some very effective servant-butler body language as he paces through the movie. I don't think he's in the movie enough, but it is an ensemble picture. And as an aside, one member of that ensemble cast is Lyle Talbot. He plays a character named Jim Davis in this movie, but I already knew him from a different film. He's in Plan 9 from Outer Space co-starring with footage of a then-deceased Bela Lugosi. Overall, One Body Too Many is not one of my favorite Lugosi films, but he's still rock-solid in it. And I double-checked. I actually have One Body Too Many seven different ways here at Monster Kid Radio headquarters. It is in the public domain, after all, and it's in a lot of box sets. The 
music played during Lugosi Ween Part 6 is Dance Macabre, Sad Part, by Kevin McLeod. You can find him at Incompetech.com. It's licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can find out more about that over at our website at MonsterKidRadio.net. Let's go ahead and dive into a voicemail. Hey, Derek, this is Rich the Monster Movie Kid. It's been far too long since I have left a voicemail. I can't even remember the last time that I did. In any case, I have been here every step of the way listening to every episode, and I've taken the time I wanted to reach out to you and say you are kicking ass and taking names. Your show, I really feel that uh, I listen to several podcasts, and I really feel like you put a tremendous amount of effort into every single episode. So I just want to let you know you are doing a fantastic job, and I'm loving each and every one. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm loving the episodes with Dr. Gangrene. You guys have a, a really good uh, repertoire when you're talking together. Uh, it's just it's good. Uh, it's a good conversation. I love being the little fly on the wall, and I loved your conversation about Nosferatu. More on that in a moment. I see Joe Stuber's got another episode up, uh, Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy. I'm looking forward to that because I love those conversations as well. Uh, Live 365, I was aware of it. I listened to it briefly, but only in the last month or so have I actually downloaded the app, which I'm not even sure why I didn't think about that sooner. Uh, I downloaded it to my iPhone, and it is in my car when I do drive. And I don't drive as much because I work from home, but... When I do, uh, I've been playing it nonstop, and, man, I'm loving it. It is far better than anything I was getting from Pandora. So, uh, yeah, late to the party, but keep it up. I'm loving it. Uh, okay, Nosferatu. This is my opportunity to say be jealous. You have a million and one Monster Kid crashes up there in the Northwest, but I've got a couple cool events I'm going to in the next week myself. Now, I'm recording this on the 21st, so... I'm not sure when you'll play it, but on the 29th of October, I am going to see Nosferatu uh, with the Kansas City Symphony. It's going to be playing at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. They are using the Kino Lorber version, and in addition, they got, of course, a world-renowned organ there. I am pumped about this. Nosferatu with live accompaniment is, again, a world-renowned performing arts center. I saw Nosferatu a few years ago at the Wichita Orpheum. It was a horrible print, horrible soundtrack. It made it into a comedy. I walked out halfway through, so disappointed. This, I think, is going to be the other end of the spectrum. I think it's going to be a fantastic experience. On Monday night, the 27th, I'm having an opportunity to see Frankenstein, the National Theater Live presentation. They're doing an encore presentation of the Danny Boyle play from a few years ago with Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller, Apparently, when the play was going on, they would alternate the roles. One would play Dr. Frankenstein one night while the other would play the monster. We didn't get this stuff in Wichita because we didn't have a national theater chain there. So I'm excited about that a lot. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, is going to be awesome in that. I'm sure some of the listeners have seen it. Maybe you have. And I'd love to hear what you guys think. Okay. Uh, real quick, I'm going to my first convention as a guest this weekend the Free State Comic Con in Lawrence, Kansas, about 45 minutes down the road from me. Lawrence is, of course, home to the KU Jayhawks, for those of you who are basketball fans. On Saturday, October 25th, I will be the guest there, uh, representing monstermoviekid.wordpress.com, and as well, the uh, Joel Sanderson, the man behind the basement sublet of horror. He is better known as Gunther Deadman to some local horror host here in the area. 
He uh, is putting out uh, his second issue of the Basement Sublet of Horror comic book, as well as the first two issues of the Basement Sublet of Horror magazine, in which yours truly is a guest, a writer. Well, I guess I'm a contributing writer because I'm not the guest. I'm going to be part of the regular writing staff. Uh, I've got articles in the first two issues, and there will be issues three and four next year in which I will be writing original articles. So totally weird being a guest on something like this. This is an old-school, kind of small-scale comic convention, but um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm pumped about it. So uh, in worst-case scenario, Joel and I will sit there and, and talk movies all day, and you can't beat that. So go to the basementsubletofhorror.com website. It's where you can get the comic book and the magazine. I've got them in my hands. They're very cool. Be on the lookout for it. That's all I've got to say. Keep up the fantastic work. I'm loving the show, as always. Take care. And, oh, by the way, 31 Days of Halloween, third annual event, a tribute to Boris Karloff. I'm loving your Lugosi ween. So I did Boris Karloff this year. You're doing Bell Lugosi. Guess what? Fourth annual 31 Days of Halloween. I've already committed. It's going to be Bella Lugosi. Okay. Loving the show. As always, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Richard, for calling in and dropping us a voicemail. It was actually two voicemails I had to stitch together because Google's got that three-minute limit when it comes to Google Voice. But I think we got everything in there. I'm going to work my way backwards here. That convention that you're talking about, the Free State Comic Con, October 25th, you can find out about that over at kcfancon.com. It looks like it's a one-day deal. If there's anybody in the area that's going to be going, drop by and tell Rich that Derek and Monster Kid Radio say hi. I'm excited for you, Rich. I hope you have a grand time. I'd love to hear how it goes for you. I'd love to hear how tabling with Gunther Deadman, a great horror host, went to the show. So have a good time there. I have not seen that Frankenstein presentation directed by Danny Boyle. It's just not something that I was able to get myself to the theater to see. I'm encouraged to hear that it's got an encore presentation that is running through a handful of theaters. I tried to do some research online, and it looks like it's showing in a couple of different places. So have fun with that. And man, I am super jealous. You're going to see Nosferatu with a live orchestra and it's a good print the kansas city symphony's website says it's happening wednesday the 29th at 7 p.m guys and gals you know i'm so jealous of richard right now (laughs) to be able to see that not that i don't have enough to keep me busy here up here in oregon but still man have a great time richard i really think you're gonna dig it it's such a good movie and with a live orchestra i can't imagine that would be anything but awesome The Live 365 channel, you know, I didn't mention it at the top of the show like I normally do. It is a labor of love. It's something that I love putting together. Everybody knows that I'm a big film score guy. I love my movie music, and I love the movie music from these classic monster and science fiction movies. I do try to put some new material in there. I try to refresh it every couple of weeks just to add a few tracks here and there. I am slowly building some new playlists for some special themed days. This is probably something that will happen in 2015. So stay tuned for that. Again, just look up Monster Kid Radio at Live365.com or follow the link in the show notes over at MonsterKidRadio.net. Because Live365 is free, they are ad-supported. However, you can pay for a premium membership. All that money goes to Live365, although if you do it while you're listening to the Monster Kid Radio station... Well, we get like a penny or two, and it kind of helps us keep that show going. So again, I hope you guys and gals check it out. If you haven't already done so, you know, I think I might have mixed up the order. That's what I get for trying to be clever and going from back to front. Anyway, Dr. Gangreen, I love having him on the show. 
I got to have him on more often. I have such a good time chatting about these movies with him. He's one of my favorite horror hosts, and he was before I became friends with him. I'm honored that he keeps popping up here on Monster Kid Radio, and he keeps making time for the podcast and supporting us. And I'm glad you guys and gals dig it as well. If you are not following Dr. Gangrene on YouTube, remember, as soon as he gets 100 subscribers on his YouTube channel, he's going to run a contest, and you might be able to get your hands on an awesome Vincent Price movie box set. He's also available on Facebook. Look him up over there, or just check out drgangrene.com. Richard, thank you for all your kind words about the show. Thank you for all your kind words and all of your support when it comes to all of my podcasting efforts. I knew you when you were just Richard from Wichita. Now, you're the Monster Movie Kid. And if people head over to our website and click on the links section, you're in there, man. So everybody needs to go check out monstermoviekid.wordpress.com to see what he's up to. His countdown to Halloween this year has been a lot of fun. He's been going through a ton of Karloff films. It's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that next year you're going to be doing Lugosi. Next year, I'm doing Karloff. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Big thanks to Joe Stuber for making this happen. You know, he was the one that reached out to me and said, I've got a hole in my schedule. Let's talk about The Mummy. And of course... We had to make it happen. This has been such a fun journey for me. I've loved going through these Abbott and Costello Meet the Monster movies. Like I said, outside of Meet Frankenstein, these were all first-time viewings for me. This was a real treat, and I really enjoyed it. But we're not done with Joe. Like we talked about, we've got another Abbott and Costello movie coming up in the near future here on Monster Kid Radio. We just got to schedule some time to make it happen. I appreciate all of you guys and gals making time to listen to Monster Kid Radio and supporting the show by giving us likes, by giving us reviews on iTunes, by supporting our Patreon page, or just sharing our posts on Facebook or Twitter. I really appreciate everybody's support. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. Monster Kid Radio has the absolute best podcast listeners out there. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, Who's Driving That Carriage? That belongs to Invisible Dracula, and it appears on their EP, The Invisible EP. And they gave us permission to run it on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go check them out at invisibledracula.bandcamp.com and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody next week.